you search the term public health infrastructure on Google or Google Scholar, one of the first articles to pop up is titled, The Governmental Public Health Infrastructure. One paragraph in, you can find these sentences. Quote, Weakness in our nation's governmental public health infrastructure were clearly demonstrated in the fall. Communication among federal, state, and local health officials, and with political leaders, public safety personnel, and the public, was often cumbersome, uncoordinated, incomplete, and sometimes inaccurate. Laboratories were overwhelmed with testing of samples. End quote. Now, you probably won't find this too surprising, given the fact that we saw in real time how poorly the U.S. handled the COVID pandemic, but that paragraph wasn't about the COVID pandemic. This article was pulled from a report called The Future of Public Health in the 21st Century, published 20 years ago in 2002. Wow, that was 20 years ago. God Those sentences were referring to the anthrax attack, which, while certainly a terrible event, only affected a handful of people compared to the over 800,000 deaths caused by COVID. If those critiques were given for an event as relatively minor as the anthrax attack two decades ago, how could the same system handle a pandemic? This is Everything is Public Health, a show about how all the invisible things around you, big and small, impact our health and well-being. As a public health podcast, it's hard not to address the public health event occurring right now in front of all of us for a good part of the last two years. Why did the U.S. botch its response to the pandemic? Many reasons, but from a public health perspective, the lack of a proper public health infrastructure. Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. So to start, we have a quote and in the tradition of the show, also a quiz. Quiz show. Ding, 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 ding. So try to guess who said this quote, Cass. Ready? Okay. The success or failure of any government in the final analysis must be measured by the well-being of its citizen. Nothing can be more important to a state than its public health. The state's paramount concern should be the health of its people. Take a guess. So I have no idea who said that, but based on the vibes Mm -hmm. of the word and the focus on public health, I'm going to guess that this statement was made between 1925 and 1935. That is correct. (laughs) Seriously? Well, it's it's all contextual. It was another swag. It was a scientific wild ass guess, right? So I'm drawing some parallels. I'm pulling some things in, but no one in my lifetime has talked about (laughs) something like this. Um, so that that takes us, you know, back into before the 80s for the sure. Old days, right? Right. Yeah. And then thinking about what the priorities are in different decades and things and thinking about when we started to see big infrastructure and social mm-hmm. programs. That's why I said between 25 and 35. And the person? I don't know. I'm embarrassed that I don't know who uh, would have said that. Uh, here's a hint. It is a president. I should know who was president between 1925 and 1935, (laughs) but alas, I do not. You're so close, right? So which president in that era was associated with large, large social reform? Probably my second greatest character flaw is I am awful with names. I know I could picture in my mind. I cannot tell you. All right. Describe his face. (laughs) Or is this too much? I'll just tell you the answer. Is it FDR? It is FDR. Congratulations. Ding, ding, ding. I knew if I just like sat on it long enough, I would get there because I'm embarrassingly bad with names. I am so impressed with that guess because not only did you nail the era, but you also figured out just from me telling you it's a president, you figured out which president. So that was very impressive. So this quote was from FDR from his campaign address on October 13th, 1932. So it's 
even within your time frame. Oh, yes. And he also believed that healthcare was a right. However, that idea died in the U.S. along with his sudden death. Um, the idea took hold in the U.N., but in the U.S. to this day, healthcare is not a right. We talked about this in a previous episode, yeah, right? His wife sort of carried the torch to the to the U.N. I think that may have primed me a little bit for this guess. Again, fantastic guess. So the question I will try to explore today, at least partially, is what happened between that quote and now? What sort of... Capitalism. <laughs> save that. Save that for the bonus. Sorry, <laughs> I just... No, I just spoiled the, the whole episode. Yeah, a little bit, but it's okay. So the COVID pandemic, obviously, it's something that is in front of us. Uh, we try not to talk about it, but we have to talk about it. It has revealed many issues in all aspects of our lives. Everything from revealing that most jobs didn't require people to drive two hours to work every day and how fragile our supply chain is, and to the power of misinformation thanks to social media, just to name a few. It certainly revealed that all the weaknesses and faults in our public health infrastructure, and that's what we're going to explore today. Specifically, we will try to understand why we weren't ready for a pandemic compared to other countries, at least, in the frame of what makes a good public health infrastructure. And I will say it's a very nebulous term, like public health infrastructure. I'm not even sure how to define a public health infrastructure, but what comes to your mind when you hear public health infrastructure? Well, I think the first thing to think about is what are the core functions of public health, right? We're doing surveillance, we're monitoring for problems that we know exist, as well as trying to identify outbreaks of new things. We're designing interventions and implementing and evaluating them, right? Sort of thinking about the core, some of these core steps in the public health process. And so when I'm thinking about infrastructure, I'm thinking about a public health workforce. So having the people Mm -hmm. to do the surveillance, do the identification. I'm thinking about information sharing structures so that when something emerges, we can get information to people in the right time and place. Resources that are needed, you know, things like personal protective equipment that can help people be safe when they're doing necessary work. These are the kinds of things that I'm thinking about it. And when you mentioned like why we weren't ready not to go too far ahead. Uh, But I wanted to just spend a minute thinking about the misinformation piece. And it's not just social media. I mean, social media can be a vehicle for misinformation. But looking back, we knew as a government, we knew that this was an issue in January of 2020. Senators were being briefed on this being an issue. Senators were buying and selling stock and trading trading, as a result of uh, of this information that was not public. Never forget that. They were publicly downplaying this in some instances while privately talking about it being an issue and making trades. So yes, social media is a problem, but it is also the people in charge not responding appropriately and effectively to the issue and in fact saying the wrong things and getting people to do the wrong things as a result. Yeah. I know this is a main episode. I'm not supposed to get too soapboxy, but That's okay. I'll just I'll step off of it now. <laughs> but uh keep those big idea in mind as we go through the five reasons why we were so unprepared for the pandemic and why we handle it so poorly, they will undoubtedly illustrate some of these public health infrastructure's components. So we're gonna talk about five reasons, right? These might not be the number one reasons, these you know, they might not be presented in sort of ranked order. This is a really challenging topic. You know, we don't want to oversimplify any of these things or or make people think that we're sort of brushing any of this off. But we just want to give an overview of why the U.S. seems sort of especially ill-prepared to respond to this issue compared to some of the other countries. 
Right. And as much as we are public health professionals and as much as Cass is a genius when it comes to gun violence and <laughs> other things, we don't know everything about public health. So certainly keep that in mind. So reason number one, the elephant in the room, politics. And you sort of alluded to this uh, before. It's a combination of the last administration's absurdity and the fact that we are a decentralized government and some of you may be thinking decentralized but it seems like a particular party i'm just going to pick a random color red so random have their hands on everything and control everything but centralized and decentralized government means the fact that in order for a major decision to happen in a decentralized government power is distributed quote-unquote distributed and multiple parties align to work together that's what a decentralized government is so when we think about a decentralized government i'm not a a government sort of civics expert but we generally think of there being some pros and some cons right so pros we talk about states being the laboratory of democracy there's a lot of flexibility and independence to to do things try things tailor things more specific to a given population geography etc but some of the cons as mj you pointed out when there's a big issue that is not a a local issue, but something that's impacting the country as a whole or the world more broadly, like a pandemic, pandemic. (laughs) lots of things have to align in order for people to make progress, right? So thinking about the pandemic response has been really a state level response. So states are doing what they think is best for their states, but information has been coming down from the federal government on guidance around masking and vaccinations and all these pieces. But the federal government has very little power to tell states, you must do these things. Yeah. Right. And so states can make some bad choices, like perhaps, oh, yes. you know, removing mask mandates too soon or prohibiting businesses or schools or whatever from requiring masks, which we know can be beneficial in preventing the spread of COVID. So it's not always a bad thing, but in the case of a a widespread coordinated response to something like COVID-19, it can create issues. Yeah. And this is definitely something that you can see in high contrast with, for example, Taiwan's response to the pandemic or other countries with a more coherent public health organization for them it was like we're in a pandemic here are all the rules people have to follow these rules and then that was sort of like a one two three process of how they'd handled it but i think we alluded to this uh in the preemption episode when dr mccord talked about preemption and police power like our constitution specifically gave states police power and a police power not in a sort of law enforcement police power but in the form of they can do things and the federal government explicitly cannot do things in those states there's only certain things that federal government can do and as a result you see this sort of like back and forth between the cdc and the states and the back and forth between what the biden administration want also like the messaging from the cdc has not been no it's not been 100 percent. like there's been really some of the things that the cdc have done or the way they've handled it has complicated what otherwise should have been a very clear message so you know we're talking about sort of things that the biden or the trump administration might do but beyond the white house there have been agency decisions and messaging that have made things worse than they should have been otherwise so yeah so the fact that we have a relatively decentralized government and i mean it's maybe a taboo word but a fragmented government uh, means that our responses are naturally going to be slower when it comes to like big things that needs to be done quickly and also i i must stress how badly the last administration like messed things up I, you know i have a list of examples i'm sure you have a very list example so let's just take turns bouncing like at least two of them uh injecting bleach into your body was the one that stuck out in my head ivermectin 
Ivermectin. Ivermectin is a very interesting case that I'm not going to get into, but Ivermectin injecting bleach in your body and the the insistence to not wear a mask during the early stages. Like, no, was Trump ever seen wearing a mask? There was like one time. Probably at some point. Uh, well, here, this is again, this again comes back to some of the mixed messaging. So early in the pandemic, we're talking like, you know, January, February, March, even into April, we did not know that it was a respiratory disease. We weren't sure how it was spread. We knew it was spread. That we weren't 100% sure. And so the CDC in the beginning said, we don't think masks are useful. We don't think the general public should wear masks. Okay, fine. Once we were certain that it was respiratory and we did actually need to wear masks, then the message should have been, hey, now we know, mm-hmm. now we need to wear masks. Right. Like it was it was never clearly, in my opinion, others can disagree. I don't think it was ever clearly said we didn't know before. Now we do know. And actually, now we need masks because like I I may have talked with you about this tweet, but like this sums up. I don't remember who said the tweet. So if, if somebody knows, please give credit where credit is due. But somebody said that they had just seen a person with gloves on sanitizing their shopping cart with a a wipe and then walking into a grocery store without a mask on. Yeah. Like this is why (laughs) we still have the pandemic raging on is one of the many reasons why we still have the pandemic raging on as much as we do, because at multiple levels of the federal administration, messaging was poorly managed so that nobody knows what the hell they're supposed to be doing. I mean, public health people know, but there's just lack of trust now because things were not well managed early on. Okay. Yeah. And I think public health people are just caught in this space where just like, we're just frustrated at how everything went down. And then as much as it is inherent in our decentralized government's nature, we cannot not talk about how the last administration just completely just did not handle it. I think they were part of them were more focused on the election as well. So they didn't really focus too much on this. I'm sure you have examples. I have examples, but Uh, Google those examples, if you will, but uh, everyone's thinking the same thing. So we're just going to move on. (laughs) So reason two, uh, the lack of investment in preparing for emergencies and in public health in general of the almost $4 trillion, that's trillion with a T, that we spend annually on health, how much of it percentage wise is given towards public health and prevention? Less than a half a percent. Wow, you're very pessimistic. (laughs) Sounds like someone who is from public health. 3%. (laughs) Right, okay. but All you're right. on the same like magnitude, like single digit percent is yeah. given to public health and prevention. We've talked about this before, and I think this is such an important point. The goal of public health is to keep bad things from happening. So if you and it's hard to measure the prevention of something, it's hard to measure the absence of something, right? So it's hard for public health to say, well, look at how well we're doing because X, Y, and Z things didn't happen. Yeah. Which is actually an interesting frame that we take. Like when we think about airlines, right? Like their their whole approach is prevention, right? Like what can we do to make sure things don't happen? There's this whole near miss system that they put into place. Anyway, the point is, We spend very little on public health Mm -hmm. because public health, when it's doing its job, nothing happens. Bad things don't happen. And then people are like, well, wait, why are we spending all this money on public health? Like they're not doing anything. Yeah. Well, we We are. are. You just don't see it it happening. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the the biggest struggle, I guess, that public health has to deal with is the fact that if we do our jobs well, no one sees anything. And that's the point that you're not supposed to see anything. Exactly. And here's another stats for you. Adjusting for inflation, the CDC's budget has not changed since what year? Oh, I know this, right? It's been like a decade, right? Yeah, 2008. Oh, I guess not quite a decade, I guess, but... No, more than... It's 22, 2008, so, oh, yeah. More than a decade. <laughs> it's hard, sometimes it's hard to math. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's no, I feel that. Yeah. Like a, a decade and a half, I guess. Okay. 
but it's been a long, it's been a, a stupidly long time since CDC. So if you are given the same amount of money, but everything costs more, then you have to cut money some way. And my understanding is that the places where it was being cut was our preparedness stuff, right? Like our emergency preparedness budgets, which is why we had no money when the hit the fan. More things come up, right? We are evolving society and there are things that comes up that needs our attention. So things do get more expensive. If you just give them an adjustment for inflation, that's not enough. And in addition, the budget for emergency response and public health preparedness, so two separate funds, both of them have been slashed in half over the last decade. And this is what you were talking about. Yeah, like if we don't invest in things like this, of course, we're not going to know what to do when a pandemic hits us in the face and things were just slow, right? And this ties in with the decentralized government part. If you have so many fragments, having no plan means you have to figure out the plan as you go, which means it slows things down, right? It's like building the ship while you're sailing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for example, Taiwan has been championed as having one of the best COVID uh, response. And they did. It's remarkable how little cases and deaths they have. And one of the reasons is that they had a plan in place since SARS. I don't know if you remember SARS. It was a while oh, ago. Oh, yeah, of course. 2003. And they, they had a SARS scare. So they have a plan in place that's like, okay, if anytime some sort of pandemic happens, this is what we're going to do. As soon as they realized that COVID was a thing, they pulled it out and they say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Whereas for us, we have to be like, okay, who talks to who? Which government people talk to which government people? Like, uh, do we wait for the CDC or do we act? Like, if we have no plan, we need to figure out the plan. And that takes time. Well, and I also think there's different, there are cultural differences at play as well. So thinking about the acceptability of mask use. Yeah, in Asia, it's a lot easier. Absolutely. And, And it's not just in the course of a pandemic. Like, if you're experiencing symptoms and you are out in public, you wear a mask. Like, that's mm-hmm. just the social norm in asia yes and then here it's like oh i i you can't make me wear a mask you know my body my right which stuff <laughs> okay, which, I, I, know, you know, I know where you you're can going listen to the bonus <laughs> yeah. show after the show where where we will uh get a little bit more spicy about that a little bit more <laughs> it's gonna be a fiesta in today's or the bonus uh, for today's episode oh yes anyway you know and, and this is you know we're talking about the emergency preparedness and the covid response thing but like let's think about how we function on a whole range of topics uh, just for a second i I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the postal service, the U.S. Postal Service. Love them so much. Which I love. I love the post office. Me too. I buy stamps all the time. Yeah. Like it's just so lovely. But thinking about the prior administration, uh-huh. they removed mailboxes. You know the big blue mailboxes, right? They decided to no longer use airplanes to ship because they're like, oh, and it's going to save us this much money because we're not going to use airplanes anymore. But they forgot to talk about the fact that then people aren't going to send things using the post office, and so then they're going to. Lose Lose the money that they were supposedly mm-hmm. saving. Yeah. And the post office is, is I think of as like a utility. It is. Yeah. It's a public good. Yes. Right. And that is something that we should be invested in yes. because it shouldn't cost an arm and a leg to send a letter no. to someone. Like email aside, we still have to send letters. There are still things that have to go through the mail. So we shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for that. This should be something that is supplemented as part of our infrastructure, right? And and thinking about the parallels to public health, we have not invested in the infrastructure that we need to be able to respond appropriately. And that's just something we do in the US. We don't worry about things until there's an issue. We kick the can down the road. Oh, we don't, you know, we haven't had any kind of outbreak in a while. Oh, we kick it down the road, you know? Oh, we should have learned some lessons when we had the H1N1 in... When was that? 2008, <laughs> right? Oh. Which I got that, by the way. That oh, was no. awful. Well, you're still here, so that's good. I had flown. Yeah, it was. that was the sickest I think I've been oh, like no. from that kind of thing before. But we didn't learn lessons. 
then. Like, oh, maybe we, you know, oh, we should do this, we should do that. And then budget priorities come up and public health is often the first thing that gets slashed because you don't see it. The absence of a problem is something that people don't, we don't celebrate the absence of problems. We celebrate the visual response to a problem, which is a lot more expensive than preventing it in the first place. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. You know, I'm just going (laughs) to label this full episode slash bonus because... Um, Reason number three, and consolidation of hospitals and suppliers. This was uh, courtesy of Popular Information, Judd Lagoon. Oh, yes. Love Popular Information. Shout out to Judd. I don't know if you hear our podcast. Probably not, but shout out to Judd. (laughs) Yes, he might not, but I subscribe to his newsletter. MJ, I think you do as well. Just like amazing (laughs) journalism, accountability, like everybody. Seriously, go subscribe to Popular Information. I I love it so much. I have the paid membership because I really want to support the work that he's doing. free one is pretty good too. (laughs) free one is great, but like, you know, I appreciate it. I I read it every time it comes out. So I I support Judd, much like if you like our podcast, you could support us as well. By the way, not sponsored. We're not sponsored by Popular Information. That's just us recommending. Oh, no. He has probably no idea that we exist, but (laughs) we are big fans of his anyway. um, So this week, Judd had a great piece about consolidation of hospital systems, physicians, suppliers, all these kinds of things to be much more vertical so that you could sort of divert people into um, urgent care centers or other things that might be more appropriate in some instances to treat patients for particular issues, whatever. Okay, great. But that also led to a more capitalistic approach to yeah. our hospital system such that like capital, what what are they called? The investor people. Venture capitalists. Thank you. Venture capitalists and other other groups would buy these hospital systems. They would squeeze every ounce of profit they could get out of them. And then often when they couldn't perform, they would close them down. So we've seen tons of rural hospitals closing down. And this was really in the context of like, why is our hospital system ready to break? At any moment. <laughs> At any moment. Right now, we have, I think Judd said, around 3,000 extra patients per state. 3,000 extra COVID patients. Granted, those are not distributed equally, okay, but just on average. But because we have closed hospitals and because we've shut down these different systems, there's just no beds for these folks. And people are dying waiting for treatment because of the COVID patients. Yeah, and I think he talked about this one metaphor that hits the nail on the head, which is, if you're trying to make money, you don't want surpluses because surplus means you don't have money. So if you are viewing hospital as a money-making machine, of course, you're going to try to cut the number of beds to just above where you need them because extra bed means no profit. And just take that concept and just apply it generally to hospitals, health system, and suppliers when it comes to consolidation and vertical integration. And uh, this one is courtesy of the Trade-Off podcast, but a lot of our medical supplies, for example, needles and masks and stuff, they have oftentimes have one manufacturers, one or two manufacturers, and that's it. Effective monopoly almost, So, which means if those manufacturers fail, then all of a sudden we have no supplies. You mentioned in a prior podcast, we were talking about healthcare as a right, that treating healthcare and health insurance like a free market doesn't work, right? Because you don't have options. It's not like, oh, maybe I'll buy a loaf of bread from this store or from that store, right? Like if you- Liver falling off or- I don't know, glass (laughs) sticking out of your body and you need emergency care, right? It's not like, ooh, maybe I'll go to this hospital or that hospital, right? Like when there is a a life-threatening need, it can't function like a a real free market. And so I think Judd just does a nice job of sort of talking about some of the challenges there. Yes. Yeah, again, lovely newsletter. Please sign up. He has a great metaphor 
Reason number four, a lack of universal healthcare system. And I'm not talking about the importance of health insurance and I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the fact that there is no universal healthcare system means information, specifically information, does not flow nicely. So for example, I'm a big fan of Taiwan because I'm from Taiwan, but Taiwan were able to handle this so well because everyone in Taiwan has a health card and all of their information that citizens have is stored on a health card, which means that information is centralized. So if one person were to get sick, some data analyst sitting in the Taiwanese CDC will know because it's centralized. But since we don't have anything universal like the UK or Canada, information to get from one hospital, just to get from one hospital to another hospital, I don't think people understand how hard it's. If one hospital has Epic and other hospital have another system that is practically impossible sometimes they need to fax it over and when's the last time you've seen a fax right no i i think um just an example case in point so don't need to go into the details but i was at the doctor recently this week and they were talking about the health issues some medication etc and they had asked when's the last time i had blood work done and i said well december 28th and she was like oh okay like well we need to get your blood tested like do you happen to have access to the stuff because they don't use the same system <laughs> they couldn't see any records and i was like well here like yeah let me pull it up on my phone so i pulled it up on my phone and in order for them to get it into their system they took a picture of the test results on my phone <laughs> so that they could get it into their system answered it manually <laughs> yeah no like their system wasn't compa- like they literally took a picture of my phone with the screen with the the test results so that they could sort of document Unbelievable. that yeah so lack of centralized information sharing system that makes things difficult Reason number five, the overemphasis on medicine, namely trying to vaccinate ourselves out of a pandemic. And to be 100% clear, I just want to say that up front, the vaccine is great. It is a huge achievement and is very important to combating any pandemic. And we should celebrate the scientists that work so hard on it and everyone should get vaccinated. What I mean is there is a tendency for us in the U.S. to have a magic bullet mentality which is we just need to find one thing that works and then and it works. And then this whole, the early stage of pandemic, it's Operation Warp Speed. We need to get the vaccine. We need the vaccine. We need to vaccinate people. But the public health approach, I think both you and I know, is very different. The public health approach is multiple layers, redundancies, tacking issue from multiple directions. And ultimately, this is what every other country with a successful response did. They have multiple ways to monitor, multiple ways to manage the thing. But our over-reliance on medicine and vaccine is probably one of the reasons why the early stages were just handled so poorly. Well, and this is true of our response to all sorts of issues, right? So we don't often focus far enough upstream, right? When we think about health, right, the health of any given individual, it's not simply a biological thing. There are the social determinants of health, like economic status, education status, environmental exposure. Behavioral stuff, right? Yeah, behavioral things. Family history, like all sorts of stuff that contribute to an individual's sort of health and well-being. And we are so focused on what one person needs to do. If you have diabetes, for example, you need to do X, Y, and Z things. You need to eat this kind of food, use this medication, et cetera, et cetera, to get things under control. Forgetting that like... The availability of food Rice, for that person, their their ability for uh, to find transportation to get to the store, right? Harkening back to some of our early episodes, but we are way too focused on trying to find the one thing that will fix everything. And this is true for gun violence, for you know, healthcare, for Most issues, pandemics, yeah. for all sorts of things. Like in gun violence, we always hear, "Well, that policy wouldn't have 
prevented this incident. Okay, well, no one thing yeah. is going to solve everything. We need a suite. We need a range of strategies. We need to think about behavioral interventions. Exactly, right? The Swiss cheese model. If you only have one layer of cheese, lots of things are going to get through. But if you line up lots of different layers of cheese with the holes overlapping on different parts, then you know, you're know you far more likely to prevent something from happening. Yeah, healthcare is only a part of health. We often forget that so many things plays into our health and hence why the show Everything is Public Health. So there you go. Five reasons why the US didn't or couldn't handle the pandemic effectively. Again, not the top five reason and not in any order uh, of priority. Uh, this is one of the many discussions that we'll have about what a public health infrastructure is. So stay tuned to future episodes about related issues. Please be sure to join us on Monday for Public Health Plus, the show after the show for our discussion on the new free COVID tests you can now order online and you can find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word about the show so more and more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at EverythingIsPH and Instagram at EverythingIsPublicHealth. Send us questions or comments to EverythingIsPublicHealth at gmail.com. Also reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Krufasi. And if you're interested in seeing any of my gluten-free baking creations, you can follow me on Instagram at CassPhD. Please also give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show immensely. If you want to support the podcast directly, we have a Patreon page. And you can find the link for that in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health. Hello, I see that you made it to the end of the podcast. Here is a bonus clip. So total side note, I just had a holy hell of an aha moment. Okay, okay. So I am, I'm participating in this project It's called Cultivating an Anti-Oppressive Learning Culture. And part of what we're doing this month is learning about the characteristics of white supremacy culture and how it impacts our teaching, our learning, et cetera. And um, which we should do an episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's coming up. Right. So as a side note, though, when you were talking, when we were talking about we have to find the one thing to solve the problem. Mm That's the perfectionism characteristic of a white supremacy culture, that we cannot do something unless we have the perfect thing. Oh, like things have to be perfect for us to do them or we have to be perfect or whatever. Like it just literally light bulb came on and it's helping me contextualize a lot of the things I'm doing in work. Like, why do people think we need the one Uh solution? Well, that's the perfectionism characteristic of a white supremacist Ooh. culture. So, holy <laughs> balls, Light that ball. was like mind blown. I'm going to have to put that in the discussion forum um, for my for my We're class. doing an anyway. episode on, on anti-racism and uh, stuff like that. So, save that. Keep this idea. Save that for that episode.